Well, good morning. If we've never met, uh, my name is John. I get to serve as a lead pastor here, and I'm really thankful that you're here. I'm really glad. Uh, it's a really interesting day you picked, right? You're like, I didn't know this was a series on money. I was picked a couple weeks from now or something. But seriously, it is really, really uh, a good thing that you're here. It's going to be fun. We had a lot of fun already in first service. But um, you probably know this about yourself. I don't know all of you, uh, but I know uh, some of you, and I would guess this is true of most people who are here, that you tend to not spend money on things you don't care about. Am I right? Like there are certain things that you just don't care about, so you don't buy. There are certain th uh, places you could spend money. You're like, I don't care about that place, so you don't spend money there. Now, obviously, all of us have areas where we have to spend money on stuff we don't care about, right? So I give no cares about putting gas in my car, but I got to pay for it, and I got to do it so I can drive somewhere. Like we all have places and areas like that. Maybe certain bills or uh, like my kid's daycare bill. I'm like, I don't care about paying this, but I need her to go somewhere. So there's things like that that you all have. Now, I was trying to get really introspective for, for a minute and think about what is like the number one area I do not like spending money on that I have to spend money on. And I came to the conclusion of what it was. Socking Lindsay, figuring this out, knowing this sermon was coming, and the number one area I do not care about financially, it is like at the bottom of the financial priority list, is clothes. Does anyone else feel me on that? Like, I just hate clothes shopping. I can't stand it. Nothing ever fits me well. I don't like going. So Literally, Lindsay and I had this conversation probably three weeks ago. She said, John, I'm watching Lennon for the afternoon and you have to go buy clothes. Like I'm making you go to Tanger. You have one pair of pants left and, and it, your stuff is falling apart. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to you and to me and to this family. You know, like it just was an intent. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I'll go. So I go to Tanger and she said, hey, hey, before you leave, there's one caveat. You better not come back with any black shirts. That's what she told me. So if you've been around Center, you know I'm, like to dress like a ninja if possible. And she just was like, do not come back. So this is a green shirt with a black undershirt. How about that? You know, so be impressed. But for me, walking around Tanger, I just was like, I do not want to be here. Like, I wish I just had a personal stylist who would just like pick clothes that fit me and like what I liked and moved on, but I'm not there yet. So for me, clothes have an incredibly low, and for some of you too, low financial priority, but... If we were all honest with ourselves, we would know there are areas of life in which we do have financial priorities. There are certain things that you like to spend money on that other people do not care. I've got a friend who's obsessed with softball. He will spend four or $500 on softball bats. I could not give two cares about two softball bats. I don't even wanna watch softball or play it. You know, like I just don't care. But for him, it's a financial priority. And I want to ask you, if you looked at all the financial priori priorities in your life, how would your life change if your financial priorities changed? How would your life change if your financial priorities changed? Because here's the deal. I've only been married about nine years, but Lindsay and I had to wrestle with this question when we first got married, and we still do. We still do. And I want to say this right at the beginning of this series, beginning of this teaching, that I believe, I truly believe, that God has kept Lindsay and I safe and protected from divorce because we've honored God in this area. He has taught us in this area. I, the number one reason in America of divorce is still money fights and money problems. 
these two areas, they ruin relationships. They destroy parents. They, they mess with marriages. They, they have a way of eroding our spiritual faith. But we have committed right at the beginning of our marriage to give 10% of our income to the Lord. It's called tithing. And to be honest, when we decided to start tithing, guilt was the main reason. <laughs> I heard a sermon like this and I was like, ooh, <laughs> I feel bad. I'm not giving anything. I'm like tipping God, but I'm definitely not tithing to him. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it that way. And that was the main reason we started. We just felt like we were supposed to do it. So I'm gonna kind of twist it arm like, okay, we'll do it. And to be honest, when we first got married, we had no money anyway. It felt like very insignificant to give 10%. But can I tell you, God began doing something in our marriage over the last nine years even, and the reasons have gotten much more spiritual, much more profound, much more meaningful to us. And here's the other thing I know. I did some quick math. Knowing how many people show up on a Sunday, the average income in this area, if we all tithe, our annual ministry budget would grow by $500,000 this year. $500,000. Now here's the deal. I recognize what $500,000 could mean for our community, for our church, for the ministries we're a part of, for the staffing needs and, and some of the gaps we have. I recognize those things, but transparently, here's what I want you to hear. Like I'm the lead pastor of this church. What does he think about money? And I just want you to know way up front, here's my kind of caveat to all of these teachings. I don't know who tithes or not. I don't preach every Sunday with a dollar sign floating over your head. I don't even have access to our giving database. I couldn't get in there if I tried. It's like Fort Knox. You know, I have no idea. I don't even know where to go to find it. We have an incredible team of lay leaders and, and staff who are outside of this organization that oversee all of that. And I'm really grateful for it. But I just want to say from the beginning of this series, the reason I want to teach this and the reason I think this is important for us and why it's important now is because this stuff has changed my life. It's changed my marriage. It has certainly changed our church. And I believe no matter where you are financially, where you are spiritually, it'll change you too. And so we're going to go to probably one of the most old school, famous passages on tithing in the Bible, Malachi 3. It's a minor prophet book, the very last book of the Old Testament. The reference will be on the screen. If you have a phone or a device or even a Bible, uh, pull that out. We're going to read a couple of the verses together. And here's how Malachi starts. So Malachi is, is, is kind of in the middle of giving these prophetic words, conversations between God and Israel, his chosen people. He's going back and forth. It's almost like six disputes are happening, and we're kind of listening in on one of those. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, talking about the people, God's people, Israel, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Quick pause. Notice God does not start this conversation with math. Right? That's often how we approach tithing conversations. We talk about percentages and proportions and budgets and, well, here's how much I make. Here's how much I have. Is it the net or is it the gross? Like we have all these math conversations. That's not the conversation God has with his people. Listen to what he says. Return to me. This is father-son language. It's like, come back home. Come to me. Like, let's, let's get in relationship again. Let's, let's reconcile and restore what we once had. And the people of Israel, they say, but you ask, how are we to return? 
How do we do that? How do we get back into relationship? Verse eight, will, will a mere mortal rob God? God says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. God says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse at full 10%, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, straight up, why should we listen to Malachi about this anyway, right? This is not Jesus. This is in the Old Testament. None of you have your life first in Malachi, probably. You maybe not even read this book. And I, why, why is this supposed to be an authority on finances for me? Well, Malachi, again, was a minor prophet. His job in life was to receive words from God, to interpret them, to present them, to deliver them as a messenger on behalf of God to his people. That was his goal. And that's what he's doing in this specific passage. And what Israel had decided to do is, hey, we know we're supposed to give 10% of our income back to God. We know it's, it's worthy of him. It honors him. It's to make sure worship and kind of our community can, can grow and flourish we're just not going to do that anymore. We don't think he needs that anymore. And so they're withholding their tithe. And he calls that robbery. Like you're literally stealing from me, saying keeping your tithe is a way of robbing God. But the emphasis, again, is not on math. It's on priorities. It's on financial priority. It's on when we tithe, we're saying, God, you get my financial priority. Tithing is me saying, God, you get financial priority. And most of us, depending on how we grew up, maybe just like Israel, wrestled with this because we may have grown up in a church context or maybe not in a church context. And when we think about giving, whether it's to the church or to the, or to the Lord, as much more of a tip than a tithe. So when I get to the end of the month, I've got extra, or I made a big sale, sold that car, uh, my, my kids are out of the house, I've got more more room in the budget, those kind of things. And we decide whatever kind of extra we have left over, we're gonna give that to the Lord. And it feels good, right? I like giving to charity. I like when someone's like, hey, can you give me 20 bucks? Having 20 bucks to give, that makes me feel good. But my, one of my friends described that as afterthought generosity. Tipping God is afterthought generosity. And that's why we're talking about tithing, which is an intentional, intentional decision to say, God, you get financial priority, and the way that I will express that is through giving you my first 10%, the first 10 that comes into my house. And Jesus echoes this, obviously, right? He says, your heart goes where your money goes. Your heart goes where your money goes, not the other way around. Not the other way around. Like, your heart is gonna be drawn into the places you are financially invested, whether that's Taco Bell, a new car, a new career, a new lawn, whatever the thing is that you're wrapped up in stocks, assets, building wealth, whatever it is, your heart is going to be tied up in that thing. That's why when we talk about money, it can be really difficult. It can be really kind of jarring, especially in a church setting to be like, those things go together and God's saying they do. Tithing is a way for us though to say, God, you get financial priority. Now, the irony of Malachi 3 
is that the 10% given to God was not just into this magical account where no one saw it ever again. That's not how it worked. The 10% went directly to this group of people who stewarded the 10% and they were called Levites. And Levites, their sole purpose was to make sure worship kept happening in Israel. They put on services, they organized sacrifices, they made sure they were being good stewards of the temple. I mean, they were those people. And much like today, tithing is kind of a way for us to do that. It's a way for worship to continue going forward and reaching people in our community. And by not tithing, Israel is saying, we actually don't think that's a priority anymore. We don't, we don't think worshiping you, God, is a big deal anymore. We're going to keep some of that for ourselves. We don't trust you with that. And so they withhold, and that's why God says, you are robbing me. Uh, I get it. Preach on money enough to know. You may be sitting there, mental arms crossed, asking, uh, yeah, but John, you don't, you don't know my situation. Yeah, but John, you don't know how hard I've worked this last year to get to where I am, how hard I have invested. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe right before retirement or I'm just out of college. John, you don't get how hard it is for, for me to make the money I have or, or maybe say things like, I don't, why would I give to the church? Why would I give God 10% back? Like, church is doing fine. Lights are still on. Everything still works. There's still somebody preaching and leading worship. Like, why do we need to keep giving to this? Why do you need me to give to this? And those are reasons I've wrestled with. Those are reasons I've thought about. I'm, I'm preaching this from a much, as much on the, on the same ground as you are. But the biggest reason I hear an objection to tithing and handling money God's way is it's not commanded in the New Testament. That's the one I hear the most. Jesus didn't say, give me 10% of your household income and net or gross. You know, like he never says that. Jesus never says to be a Christian, repent, believe, get baptized and give 10%. (laughs) That's not a formula he ever gives. But here, and if you say, well, that's not, that's not in there. Why should we do it? That's not in there. Jesus never said that. And you're right. He never said that. Jesus never specifically commands tithing, but all throughout the scriptures, especially in the gospels, Jesus assumes it. Jesus assumed that followers of the Lord, people that were all in, devoted to Jesus, devoted to his kingdom, would give, would tithe, would be generous people. Paul's words, even in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul instructs the Corinthian church to excel in giving, to get better at it, to grow in it, to stretch themselves, to depend on God more. Like the biblical expectation is not that you'd give 10%, it's that you would steward 100% of your finances in a godly way. That you would be consider yourself a conduit of God's resources to the world around us. And here's what I found. Most people who have some of those same objections, just like me, don't regularly give or tithe at all. They've never actually, and maybe you're there, and you're like, I'm not in that boat. They've never really trusted God with that and seen the overflow of his provision in their lives, his blessing in their lives. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in the math and miss that tithing is me saying, God, you get financial priority, whether that's 50 bucks a month or $5,000 a month, whatever it is. I was preparing for the sermon a couple weeks ago, 
And on Fridays, I have a 20-month-old daughter. Her name's Lennon. And Lennon and I spend Fridays together. Lindsay works all day on Friday. And so we're together for the day. And it's super fun. And one of the ways that we kill time, I mean, have fun, is before nap, uh, of course, but is to go to Rivertown Mall. A bunch of you have probably been there, if not all of us, right? So Rivertown has this kind of awesome playland for little kids, just like her. And so this is Lennon sitting on one of her favorite things is the turtle, okay? If you go there, go sit on the turtle. Apparently, it's great. <laughs> so she goes in, she kicks her shoes off, and she goes and just kind of like plops herself on the turtle. I was like, this is such a cute moment. I took that picture a couple Fridays ago. Well, seconds after this picture was taken, another really cute girl, Lennon's age probably, just kind of like weasels her way up onto the turtle next to Lennon. And you can tell Lennon's like a little thrown off. And I'm like, this is so cute, though. She's letting her sit on the turtle with her. She's sharing. You know, like she's being a generous little kid. Like this, I, I, I should have taken my photo out to take that picture. No more did I like start to reach for my phone. Then she kind of takes her hand and slowly pushes this little girl up and says, mine. Like, I was like, whoa, whose kid is that? That's a bad kid. That kid needs a parent, you know? It's it's like, oh, wait, that's mine, you know? It's like shocked. I was like, I can't believe she just said that. She was so adamant about it. Mine, like pushes this kid off. And and the other kid's dad runs up. He's like, oh, are you okay? I was like, I am so sorry. Like her mom, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, but her mom raised it that way. But I just was like, I am so sorry. I don't know what happened. She's normally really good. She likes other kids. She doesn't like your kid. Clearly, something happened. Get off Mr. Turtle. Or I don't know what her thing was. But I was just staring in, like, disbelief. And I started to think about that and reflect on that over the last couple weeks. I was like, why did that, like, hit me so uniquely? Like, the reason why is because as a dad, I want Lennon to be generous. I want her not just in my home, but in our church, in her relationships, to to live in a culture and a community of people who are radically generous, who do not hold on tight-fisted to things, but are open-handed with all that they have. Who, For them, giving is not a a command as much as it is a joy. Just like prayer. Like if you follow God, prayer over time doesn't become like, I really should pray today, I probably should do it. Prayer becomes a joy. It becomes a way to communicate with the Lord. It becomes something you go to. And tithing is no more a command than a prayer would be. It's no more an obligation to your life than prayer would be. But tithing, friends, is not for God's benefit. That's not the conversation he has in Malachi 3. He says, you're robbing me. And what he wanted most was not their money. It was their heart. It was their relationship with him. And when we rob the Lord, that's also what it looks like. Tithing, again, is not for his benefit. It actually stretches our faith, our dependence, our trust on God, our Father, to take care of us when we prioritize him. Andrew Murray puts it this way. The world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? We get consumed with that. I get consumed with that. I drive through the same parking lots and down the same streets. I can easily get comparison hungry, looking around, this house, that's better than mine, that car, that's better than mine, that, those clothes, whatever it is. That's not the question that, that Christ's kingdom asks. So the kingdom asks, 
How are you using what you do have? How are you stewarding what you have? And when God can trust you with a little, he can trust you with more. You know, one of the reasons I'm actually excited about this series in a weird way is not because I need your money. It's not because we're like trying to make a plea for more money. That's not at all. But I have just heard story after story after story. Some of them I heard after first service of people that say my life has been changed by making these decisions, by giving God financial priority in my life through tithing. And I think a lot of us just didn't grow up in environments like that. We didn't grow up hearing stories of sacrifice. We rarely even celebrate stories of sacrifice. We celebrate people who have really tried very little and got lucky and made it to the top, whether it's a celebrity or a musician. And yet, and especially us, knowing our own age demographics, very few of us have people we've sent off to war and lost like generations before us did. We just have kind of a, an imperfect bad theology around sacrifice. And some of these stories I've heard, they have been stories of great sacrifice. One of my favorite stories is from uh, friends of mine. They're named Ron and Lynn. They go to this church. And Ron and Lynn started tithing. They heard a message like this and started tithing about eight or nine years ago in their 50s, making good money, both working full time. And Ron and Lynn shared with me, they just talked about like starting this, making this decision, giving God financial priority later in life was a significant sacrifice because they were budgeted to the max, right? They didn't have margin. They had to physically create margin in their budget, 10% to do this. And Ron and Lynn would also say they made this decision. Life has not been perfect and polished since they did that. So don't hear that. Don't hear, okay, I just got to give 10%. My life will kind of turn around. I'll get the girl or get the guy or everything will figure itself out or retire early, whatever. That may be true, but, but that's not the point. And I asked Ron and Lynn, like, what would you really tell others about tithing? Like, if you could get up here and just share your own story like they did a couple years ago, what would you tell others? And this is what they said. It is a true blessing, and if you tithe, you will never regret it. That's what they said. Despite the sacrifice, despite the cost, giving God financial priority to them has become a blessing, and you'll never regret it. He knew I was going to share their story. He texted me this morning and literally said, "Uh, by the way, we don't even know what percentage of our income we're giving away now. Like, that may sound irresponsible, but... It's way above what it was eight or nine years ago when we started this journey. We, it's just giving, it's going out to so many different ministries, so many different environments and, and church, and we just don't really know. But it's a true blessing. You'll never regret it. So I want to ask you a really simple question. Only you can answer this. Just like I can't worship for you, just like I can't pray for you, just like I can't parent for you or disciple for you, I can't answer this question for you, but it's an important one. What is keeping God right now from getting financial priority. What is it? Maybe it is a circumstance. Maybe it is kind of a situation you find yourself in. Maybe it's just kind of a, a weak theology of sacrifice. I don't, I don't know what it is, but what is keeping you from allowing God to have financial priority? And I'm going to tell you the most counterintuitive thing to do when you wrestle with that question as a next step is to start tithing. <laughs> It's to pick a percent. It's to say, God, it may not be 10 at the beginning, 
It may have to grow, maybe incremental, but I'm going to step out. I'm going to risk something, and I'm going to pick a percent, and I'm going to start today. I'm going to give it away. And frankly, if you're like, I don't know if I could give to this church or this organization, I don't totally care. But, but as a follower of Jesus, if, you, if you're surrendered to him, this is an area we need to wrestle with. And we're actually going to do something as a church. Uh, March 5th will be the Sunday after this series closes out. And on March 5th, we're going to do something we did a couple of years ago called Benchmark Sunday. And it's a day where all of us just say, okay, I'm going to pray from February 12th till March 5th that God would help me kind of take a step in this area. Maybe you're already tithing and it's above and beyond. Maybe it's starting tithing. Maybe it's like 2% of your income. I don't know what it is. Pick a percent. And then on that day, March 5th, we're going to do something called Benchmark Sunday where we all give that, that tithe on the same day. Just to say, God, look what could happen. Look at what is possible when we commit ourselves to you as a church. Look at what's possible when we give you financial priority as a community. And so I'm excited for that day. I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm wishing it was already here because the stories that will come and the stories that have already come have been really powerful. And so... Here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute for us and just pray. Because again, this conversation, this area is so much less about math and so much more about trust. So much less about numbers and spreadsheets and so much more about dependence on the Lord and what he does when we trust him. So would you pray with me as we do that? So God, we just set aside this time. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We recognize that everything that we have comes from you. And that it's actually through your riches. It's through your resource that we are made alive. That we have what we have. We thank you, just like Jess read earlier, that you laid down your life. You gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we in turn could have eternal life. We in turn could walk in right relationship with you and giving this area of tithing, Lord. It's an area where we often close it off. We shove it down. We just keep you out of it. And today we're just saying we're open to you, challenging us, stirring us, inspiring us, convicting us. We're open to you. We want what you have for us in this area. So God, I pray you give us courage and boldness to keep praying, to keep risking, to keep stretching, to ask God, what, what is my percent? What is the thing that you are calling me to do in this season? And we just surrender everything that we have. This church, our families, our lives, our singleness, our marriages, our finances, our jobs, we commit it all to you. We surrender it to you fresh. And it's in your name that we pray.